So the title for tonight's teaching is Living a Legacy. Not leaving a legacy, but living a legacy. And as I said a, a moment before, you, you know, um, every single moment of your, of your life should be a moment where, where you are living a legacy. And I want to give you an example of, of your children. You know, often your, your kids will, or your grandchildren will not do what you tell them. They will only do what they see you doing. And if you don't do what you, and if you don't practice the same things that you tell them to do, then, then, then they will not see those things as being very important. So I'm telling you, every single moment of your life is part of your legacy. And what do you want people to remember you by? Not just, not just when you pass away, but in, in every moment of your life, if you were to take a screenshot, a snapshot of your life at this very moment at 5.22 p.m. Pacific time here in California, what would, pe- what would, what would, be, what would, what would be your legacy? What would people say about you? Would they say that you're kind, that you're loving, that you're generous? Or in contrast, would they say that you're bitter, you're angry, and, and say negative things about you? And, and, my, and, and I truly believe that, that, you are, that every one of you is, is known, and I, actually, I know most of you that are on the line here, that, I mean, that very positive things are being said about you because you, you want to leave a legacy behind, amen? And you want to live a legacy. Let me give you the, the, the dictionary definition of legacy. The, diction, the dictionary defines legacy as a gift or a be, be, bequest that is endowed or conveyed from one person to another by a will. So, a, so that could be a financial, it could be monetary, it could be, it could be properties, it could be jewelry, clothing, it could be any number of things, but it's usually a material thing that is left to another either by a will or, or by a living trust. But what I want to leave you with tonight is I, I want you to look beyond the material. Because I'm telling you, there, there are things that are much more valuable than, than valuables. Amen. Do you all hear that? There are things Amen. that are much more valuable than actual material valuables. And a legacy is more than just the bequeathing of something of monetary value. So tonight we are going to go beyond the dictionary meaning of, of, of legacy. You know, I, I've been t- I, I had been t- to a funeral where in the funeral, the emphasis was upon the vacations and, 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 uh, and the investments that the, that the person had made. And there was very little, very little shared about the person's integrity, the person's character. It seemed to be so much focus in, uh, on, on, on material things. And, I, and my prayer is, you know, it's great to leave a financial inheritance for your children and children's children. And I believe that's very important if, if it's in your means to do so, that, that you do so. But what's even more important is the, the, the legacy of, of character that you leave behind. Because character is everything. Character is what defines you. And if, and, and if you're walking in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, where God is using you in prophetic impartations, he's using you in healing, in deliverance, and in all kinds of miraculous ministry. But, but if you do not have character, guess what? That anointing will not last. Because your character is either going to make you or destroy you. Does that make sense? Yes. So I really want you to, that's what I want all of you to live. I want you to live a legacy and live a legacy of character. Because legacy is something that you leave, that not something that you leave behind for future generations. And it's something that you live in the, in, in the present moment. 
And one of the greatest legacies that we have received is from King David. I mean, King David lived a tremendous legacy. In fact, every single moment of his life, both positive and negative, has left a, a, a lasting impact in all future generations. Even in his sin and the way he repented and the way he fully repented leaves a legacy for us. Because David teaches us how to repent. You know, we, none of us need teaching in how to sin, right? Has anyone taught you how to sin? Has anybody taught you how to live a li- how, how, how to sin? I don't think so. That's something that came natural to all of us because we're all born in, with the sinful nature. So I don't, think, and no one ta- I don't think anyone taught us how to lie is something that, unfortunately, it, com- it comes naturally. But to live a righteous life, you need the word of God. You need godly counsel. You need instruction to learn how to live godly. Amen. And so the legacy that David left for us includes make it, he made God his father. Because David was rejected by his family. He was rejected by his father. He was rejected. His, his, his mother had to bear that pain in secret, as I shared with you about two weeks ago. And his brothers rejected him. He, he was rejected from, the, from his womb. I mean, from his mother's womb. Totally rejected through no fault of his own. He was completely rejected. Can you imagine being a, a, a child being rejected even at the time of conception? I mean, just to- total rejection. And you know what he did? He could, have, he could have chosen to become bitter, to become angry, to hate everyone, to become a villain. But, that, but that's not what he did. He learned how to make God his heavenly father. When earthly father rejected him, he allowed his heavenly father to become his father. And when brothers and sisters rejected him, he, 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 learned, he learned how to depend upon God. He could have spent his life defending his name. He could have spent his life defending his reputation. He could have spent his life defending his character. He could have spent his life trying to make every misrepresentation right, but that's not what he did. He chose to make God his refuge, and he learned how to depend upon God. And what I encourage all of you to do is don't fight every battle that you can fight. I encourage every one of you to allow God to fight your battles for you. Because you know what? It's exhausting to fight every battle. Imagine if you fought every battle in your family. It's exhausting and it's not worth your time. I encourage all of you only fight the battles that God has ordained for you to fight. And there are some battles that are, that are, as Dr. Crowell would tell us, that they're banned battles. So let's not fight the banned battles. Let's just only fight the battles that God has ordained for us to fight in. And, and, and those are battles where we defend God's name. Amen. Those are battles in which we preach the gospel. These, the, the, these are battles that God has ordained. These battles include fighting for the rights of the unborn. That as Christians, we, 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 do, not, we, do, not, we do not support abortion. Amen. We, we, we support the rights of the elderly, for the widows. We, we support, we stand for human rights. We take care of the poor. These are the battles that we should fight. For, for, uh, to fight for social justice and not, to not dis- discriminate based upon re- really anything, that, that, that we really learn how to propagate the love of God in the earth. Amen? Does that mean that we, leave, that, we, that we support sin? No. We stand against sin. But, but you know, we've, we've heard the saying, we, we, we love the sinner, but we hate the sin. And that's exactly what we are. We, we choose to hate the sin. Amen? 
Amen. And one thing about David is, I'm going to repeat part of this again. His legacy includes making God his father when his family rejected him, writing the Psalms, fighting God's battles, and gathering the spoils for God's house. And he also took repentance to the highest level. See, David took repentance higher than anybody before him and higher than anybody after him. He carried the, the, the gift of repentance to the highest level. The very first time we, we see repentance in the Bible is when, when God punished Cain. And we see, that we, we, we see in Cain's conversation with God, when he tells God, this punishment is too much for me, this punishment is too much, Cain, Cain was repenting. But you know what? Cain's repentance wasn't a complete repentance because he repented out of fear of punishment. In contrast, David's repentance was complete. And he was repenting of the sin with Bathsheba until his very last breath. I'm telling you, he was a man after God's own heart. And he loved God so much that he did not want to do anything that, that would diminish his relationship with God. Amen. So, so the reason why I want, the more you fall in love with God, the more you, you will detest your sins. I will say that again. The more you fall in love with God, the more you will detest the sins because you'll, because you'll learn it because you learn that, that these sins separate me from God and we don't want to do anything that's going to hinder our relationship with him. So I encourage all of you to make God your first love and take repentance to the highest level in your own life. There's not one of us that's without sin. So I encourage all of you to, to, to really live the, the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and you know, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That means we forgive everyone that sins against us. Amen. And if we don't forgive others, God will not forgive us our sins. So it's so important in our journey with God that we f learn how to forgive our enemies. I'm telling you, our, they'll never... Your entire life is going to be times where people are going to disappoint you. People are going to hurt you. But the key is that you learn how to forgive. Amen. And the more you do it, the easier it's going to get. And I'm, I'm telling you that some things are very easy to forgive. You know, um, when, when I, when I, when I, you know, every year we go to India and I, I get to watch my nephew playing with the, with the kids in the neighborhood. And every once in a while, somebody will do something to upset somebody and they all go home and they're all mad at each other. And then after, uh, you know, maybe moments later, they're all back outside and they, they apologize, you know, with some uh, parental intervention and they forgive each other and they're all playing together again. And it's like nothing wrong ever happened before. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be like kids where we can, where we can forget the fault, forgive, forgive the one that hurt us and just move on? Yeah. It's not easy, but you know, it'd be so nice if we could become childlike in that area where we just forgive and forget. Now, some areas are very difficult to forgive, especially, um, you know, sometimes you, you, you let, uh, sometimes some wounds are so deep that it's not easy to forgive. And you keep, and I, there are times I go, God, please help me forgive. Please, Lord, please help me in this area. And you know what? That, those are times that you, you, you need the help of the Holy Spirit. You need, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to be your helper. I'll allow him to be your helper. Amen. If you're all with me, uh, uh, um, 
Amen. Please say amen. Because I'm telling you, sometimes we, we need help, don't we? And we need heavenly intervention to help us to let things go. Nobody said that life is going to be easy. Nobody ever, God never promised that once you become a Christian or uh, that all your problems are going to go away. I'm telling you, the early church, when, when, they, when, when, when you become a Christian, you're really accepting the fact that you may be martyred for your faith in Christ Jesus. You're accepting the fact that you may be thrown into the lion's den and you may be eaten by lions. You know, we, we're, we're, we don't face that threat today. But, but I, want you to know, I want you to take your faith seriously. I want you to take your relationship with God very seriously and that you'll be faithful until the, 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 until the very end. And I'm telling you, everything that I read about David, everything that I shared with you about David, that is the legacy that he lived while he was on the earth. And it's the very legacy that he's left behind for all of us. And there is no price that you can put on this legacy. This is a summary of David's legacy from 2 Samuel 23.1. Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Isn't that a beautiful legacy? A beautiful legacy, how God raised him on high, and he lived his life to the very fullest. He, I mean, he, 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 did not leave it, he, didn't, he did not leave this world on a low note. He left this world on a high note. And, you know, the legacy that one of my favorite legacies in America is the legacy left by Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, he's, he's of everyone I've studied in American history. Um, included, in, 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 uh, uh, I mean, he is, he, he is really my favorite. I mean, just the, the life that he lived, I, I mean, and the speeches that he delivered, his speeches were so incredibly anointed and the way he fought for social rights and, and how God, and how, how God used them. I mean, his speeches and his words are, are endless. And this is a tremendous legacy that God has left in America. Then I look at the legacy that Mahatma Gandhi left in India, a phenomenal legacy that was left behind for India and to bring, to bring uh, freedom and democracy in India. I'm telling you, uh, you may not have to go to that extreme, but I, I, but I, want, I want all of you to live your lives with a, with a living legacy and, and to live your life in a way that's so meaningful and that your life is lived with such intention and so much purpose. Amen. And that every single moment of your life counts towards glory, God's glory, that, that your steps are just so anointed. And, and I just invite all of you to allow God, allow God to be your father and just live a life worthy of your calling. And the question I want to ask you is, and this is also on my blog at destinedfatora.com, what can you do to ensure that you, that you live a legacy that will endure for generations and cause you to leave this world on a high note? And that's what I'm inviting you to find out tonight. You know, Dave, King David lived, lived in a day with no social media, with no Fox News, no CNN, no, no Washington Post, nothing, I mean, not, none of that stuff. But look at the legacy he left behind. And I invite all of you to follow the pattern of King David and leave a legacy behind for future, gen future generations. But not just a snapshot after you pass away, but that every moment when, every, when anyone sees you, they, they can see the legacy that you're living. That every time you give a tithe to support the, the, the works of the poor all around the world, 
where you're planting wells in Africa. You're taking care of the poor in, in your local communities. You're taking care of the poor uh, through all the ministries that we support around the world. I'm telling you, that is your living legacy. You know, so isn't that awesome? I'm telling you, it's so glorious that we can be part of, of a ministry of taking care of others. Because our legacy is not the vacations that we've taken. Our legacy is not all, um, all, the, all the investments that we make. Our legacy is how we live our life today and, and how we l demonstrate selfless acts of loving kindness. I mean, look at the legacy left behind by Mother Teresa. These are legacies that we, we, want, we want to leave, leave for future, future generations. Amen? So tonight, as we get started, I'm going to talk about Judah's legacy. You know, and, we're, 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 and we're, we're, we may get to David tonight. Um, I'm going to change the days for Torah. Uh, starting next week, we're going to start our destined for Torah services at 5 p.m. Pacific Daylight, saving, uh, Pacific Daylight Savings Time at 5 p.m. Um, every Monday. But, uh, so, uh, but I just want to let you know in case I forget to tell you. And I want to talk to you about Judah's legacy. You know, uh, Judah is, was the fourth son of, of Jacob. And Judah was one of the one of the areas that makes Judah very significant is Judah is the tribe starting with Judah. His bloodline is a bloodline through which the, the kings came from. So King David was of the bloodline of Judah. Boaz, the husband of Ruth, was of the bloodline of of Judah. G, um, David, Solomon, and all the kings of the tribe of Judah came through the bloodline of Judah, and Jesus. Our Messiah came through the bloodline of Judah. All right, so this is a, this is an incredibly important bloodline, and so everyone that we're going to speak about tonight is of the bloodline of Judah. And before I talk about Judah, I want to explain a one of the one of the laws in the Torah. These these are not this is a law that does not apply to anybody outside of Israel, and um, you know, um, and and it doesn't really even apply uh, anymore today. But what, 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 there was a, a law known as Yibam, spelled Y-I-B-B-U-M. Yibam is what we're going to talk about tonight. Yibam is a form of levirate marriage where there is the obligation of a surviving brother to marry the widow of his brother if he died without having children. So, so for example, I'll just make up a, a fictitious family living in Israel. A couple thousand years ago, two two brothers, and one of the brothers has a wife, and they have no children together. the the, the husband the the, the the husband dies, and he he leaves his widow behind, but they leave no offspring behind. So there's no son to to carry to carry on the father the, the the father's name. So. Law, a law was given to Israel by God through, through, through Moses called Yibam. And Yibam, which is a form of levirate marriage, Yibam was a law in which the, um, the living brother would marry the widow of his deceased brother. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then what would take place is, uh, they would, after the marriage, they'd have relations and, and the widow would conceive. Well, she's no longer a widow, but she, she would conceive and the first child that the that they would have together would carry on the name of the deceased brother. 
This is something very foreign to us, but this, this was a law in Israel. And in order for you to understand the Hebrew scriptures, you need to understand this concept. Because if you don't, if you don't understand this concept, then the marriage between Boaz and Ruth really has no significance. Because remember, Ruth, Mar Ruth married when Kilian, um, right? And when Kilian and Kilian and Ruth had no children, so when when Kilian died, Ruth was the widow. There was no there was no child to carry on the name of of of, of the husband. So when, Bo, so when Boaz married Ruth and they conceived a child, Obed, Obed carries on the name of Kilian. Does that make sense to everyone? Yes. I'm sharing this with you not because it applies in our lives today. I share this with you because without understanding this concept, what I'm teaching tonight or what I've even taught over the last few weeks, you, you can't really fully appreciate what's taking place unless you understand the concept of the law of Ebom. And it's taken from, this law is taken from Deuteronomy 25, verse 5 and 6. And it reads like this. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in to her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her and the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his brother who is dead, that his name may not be blotted out in Israel. See, this was a very merciful act of God to make sure that everybody's name is, is carried on, that nobody is left behind, because, because every life matters to God. And, 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 and so th th this is what God, this is a law that God instituted in Israel, going all the way back to, the, not, not only back to the days of, of, of Moses, this was even practiced even before the, the law was given through Moses. Because the first time we see this practice, at least the first one, the first instance I can recall was, is, was in regards to Judah. Now, as you know, as I shared earlier, Judah was the fourth son, the fourth eldest son of, of, um, of Jacob. And Ju Judah initially made some very serious errors. But you know what? What Judah did is he corrected, he remedied his errors. He repented and he took responsibility when he failed. And because he quickly repented and quickly did the right thing, this was a qualification for leadership. Mm -hmm. That's an, another reason why God chose David to be king. Because whenever David blew it, he quickly repented. He was correctable. He was teachable. See, God does not look for leaders that are perfect individuals. God looks for people that are teachable. And the greatest leaders I've seen anywhere, whether in the workplace, whether in ministry, uh, the greatest leaders are the ones that are teachable, that are, that are not afraid to be corrected. And one quality of, the, of, of all the people that I've studied about in Judah is that they were teachable. And I mean, they were extremely flawed people, probably even more flawed than the general population. But you know what? One thing they had is that they, two qualities. One was taking responsibility and number two was repentance. And those are two things I would like you to take away as well, because in order to ensure your legacy, to ensure that you live a legacy, is that you be teachable, that you be correctable, and that, and that you practice and live a life of repentance. Amen? See, what Judah did is, because Judah and his brothers committed a very horrible sin, and, and they were all instrumental, except for the youngest one, Benjamin, 
but all the other brothers were uh, the, the 10 were instrumental in selling Joseph into slavery. And then they covered up the sin of selling their brother into slavery. And they, they took the cloak of Joseph, dipped it in blood, and presented it to their father's evidence that, that Joseph had been, you know, had been eaten by a lion or some, some other animal. So, so they, they convinced their father that Joseph was dead. And they all covered up the sin and never told their father the, of the evil they had did to Joseph. And Joseph, being such a righteous and loving man, Joseph never even told his father what his brothers had done to, had done to him. And, but tonight, I don't want to focus on Joseph. I want to focus on Judah tonight. Because what Judah did is after Judah, who was instrumental in the sale of Joseph, I mean, what he did is he left his father's house. So if you turn with me to Genesis 38, in the verses here, uh, uh, verses 6 through 11. G Genesis 38, verses 6 through 11. And we're, and we're, we're kind of seeing Judah in, in a downward spiral. You know, there's nothing really impressive about Judah right now. He doesn't take responsibility in the sale of Joseph. He lies to his father. All the brothers managed this, uh, created this false story to convince their father that, their, their, that his son Joseph was dead. And out of guilt, Joseph, uh, not Joseph, Judah leaves his, his father's house and, and goes to live somewhere else. And so we see that in Genesis 38, verses 6 through 11. And it says, Judah took a wife for heir, his firstborn. So Judah, Ju Judah goes to another place. He gets married, and he, he, he takes a wife for his, you know, his son heirs all grown up, his firstborn, and, and he gives to wife a, a woman named Tamar. But you know what? Heir was wicked. He was wicked in God's sight, and God struck him dead. But guess what? Heir and Tamar did not conceive a child, did not have a child. So guess what? Now we see, now we see, what do we see taking place? We see Ubum taking place. We see a lever marriage take place. So the that firstborn son is dead, and he left no and, and he left no child behind, and Tamar's a widow. So what does Judah do? He gives his secondborn son, Onan, and gives Onan to marry Tamar. Because this is this is the law of lever marriage. But you know what? Onan also acted in a wicked way. So God struck Onan dead as well. Oh. And now Judah lies to Tamar. See, right now Judah is acting in the most despicable way. And Judah says to Tamar, verse 11, Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, the third-born son, grows up. But you know what? Judah thought there was some kind of curse or something on Tamar that anyone that marries her dies. Because the first son died, now the second son died, and now he was afraid he'll lose his third son. So he, he lies to Tamar, he tells Tamar, go home, go back to your father's house. And, and, and when um, Shalah is old enough to, uh, becomes of age to, to marry, then, then, you, then you'll, marry, you'll marry Shalah. But you know what? He, this, was, this, was, this was all fabricated. Judah had no intent 
in giving his third-born son to Tamar in marriage. Mm. And Tamar knew within herself. She knew that she was destined to be part of the bloodline of Messiah. There was just something in her, and this is what the rabbis teach us. She knew that she she was to be part of the bloodline of the Messiah. And you know what? She became part of that bloodline. And Christ Jesus is part of that bloodline. King David is part of that bloodline. So what Tamar did is that she took matters in her own hands and performed the role of a harlot. And I'm not going to go into all the details of this because that will be for another teaching. Um, I'm teaching you one of the most controversial scriptures in, in, in the Bible. But you know what? I'm not afraid to teach it to you because if it's in God's word, then I can teach it to you. Amen. Because Amen. all scripture is profitable for doctrine. So yeah. right now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm asking all of you, please don't start judging what's taking place here. I just want you to see, <laughs> I, w- I want you to see the final outcome. And so she takes matters in her own hands. She, she yeah. plays the role of a harlot and she has relations with Judah. Yeah. She conceives t- twins. And the elder son, um, was Ferris, uh, was destined for, for kingship. So, so the bloodline continues. And, and uh, um, Shalah never married Judah. And I've, I've read for, for, through rabbinic commentary that, 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 Ju- that Judah and um, Tamar um, did, did marry. But... Um, but one thing I want to bring out about Tamar is Tamar made sure that Judah did the right thing. She made sure that, 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 that Judah did not miss his destiny. She knew that through the offspring of Judah would come forth kings. She knew the, she knew the future and the destiny and the greatness of Judah, even when Judah refused to recognize it. And that's the point I want to bring out tonight is how mm-hmm. God used this woman to ensure the survival of Judah's legacy. Yeah. And, and, and then afterwards when, and you'll see that on the scriptures that are pasted here, when, when Tamar showed signs of being pregnant after a few months and the news was, was, was shared with, with, with Judah, because Judah never knew he had relations with Tamar. He thought that she was just some harlot he saw on, on, the, on the roadway. And, Judah gave the order to have her burned, to, ha- to, have her, to, have, to have her killed. Mm-hmm. And then Tamar revealed evidence, his staff, to show that, 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 that you are the father of, of the child that I, I, I conceived. And right at this very moment, Judah could have covered up his sin and had Tamar murdered. And nobody would ever have known that it was Judah that performed, the, that performed this act. But Judah was willing to take on the embarrassment, take on the humiliation, take on the responsibility and said, the child is mine and she is more righteous than than I am. You see how he he repented? And later on, he does the same thing when he takes responsibility for for Joseph. See, this is a quality of a great leader is that you can take responsibility even in the midst of the most uncomfortable situation. And that's exactly what Judah did. And Tamar what she did is she ensured that his destiny would last. Now I want to share with you about, actually I'll probably go on, uh, let's talk about Boaz for a little bit because we've been sharing about Boaz and Ruth and Naomi for many, many weeks prior to this teaching. 
and but we first we see that Judah's legacy was ensured through the act of Tamar, because Tamar she she gave Judah the opportunity to take responsibility. And guess what? Judah passed the test. He took responsibility. Mm-hmm. And in the in the future, we see that Boaz legacy was ensured by the acts of two women if it were not for the intervention of ruth and naomi boaz would have missed his legacy if boaz would not have married ruth and conceived a child through that union guess what we would have no king david and we would have no christ jesus the messiah through that bloodline Mm -hmm. but boaz took responsibility for ruth judah took responsibility for tamar and I'm telling you, taking responsibility will ensure that you live a legacy and that you will also leave a legacy. Because the, the things that people will remember, and I, I was in a, on a, on a uh, I was actually in a town hall meeting today at my workplace. And I remember one of the executives in the company sharing, the things that you remember are not the things in life that, uh, that are easy. The things that you remember are the things in which there is much pain. And I want you to think about that for a moment. It's the pain that you remember. It's, it's what you learn through the painful experiences that you remember. You know, in my own career, in, in my professional uh, uh, career in, in the computer networking field, the, 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 area, the, the episodes in my career that I remember the most is when I went through the most pain. Mm-hmm. And I learned the most through the painful experiences. And then in, in comparison... I've learned much about ministry through the painful things in my life in ministry. And, and for some of you that have been through physical challenges, you know, you, 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 you've, you've gone through, um, you know, even mental challenges, uh, you know, whatever challenges you've been through, the most growth has taken place when you've been through the painful experiences in your life. And if you're with me, just uh, nod your head or, uh, or type amen. <laughs> amen. Because I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's not easy to admit, but I'm telling you, it's, it, it's the pain that you remember. Yeah. And I'm telling in, in the in, in the life of Boaz, it took two women to ensure that Boaz would, would not lose his legacy. Mm. Human intervention was required to ensure that Boaz would not miss his column. Yeah. And... Mm. All the days that Ruth came out to the field to glean in, 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 in Boaz's field, every single day he was given an opportunity that I should take responsibility for Ruth, I should perform that lever at marriage, and, and I should ensure that, that Ruth's um, dead husband's legacy will continue on. But he doesn't take responsibility, and it was his responsibility to, to do so. And this went on for days, it went on for weeks, it probably even went on for a few months. Mm-hmm. But you know what? To, and, and it got to the point where Judah, I mean, Boaz was not doing his part. See, Boaz is of the bloodline of Judah. He's not taking responsibility. He says all the right things. May God bless you. May God take care of you. He says all the beautiful religious things. But you know what? He's not saying that I should take responsibility. Right. And, and Ruth is being indirectly telling him, you should take care of me. Mm-hmm. You should take care. You should, make, you should ensure that my husband's name is, is carried mm-hmm. on. And he doesn't do anything. And then what we see in Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. See, Naomi is noticing that what Ruth is doing is, is, is not producing fruit. 
and Boaz is still not is still not getting the hint. He's still not doing what he needs to do. So Naomi takes matters into her own hand, and Naomi, her mother-in-law, says to her, Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek a home for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maidens you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, your, wash therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and, and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Now, when we read this in our, in the way, in our, in our own Western minds, we're thinking things that are, we're thinking things that are taking place are, 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 are not very pure. You know, our imaginations are going crazy here. And, but, you know, I, I want you to set aside um, your, your, your Western thoughts for a moment. What Ruth was doing was by laying down at his feet, there was nothing in this, there was nothing um, wrong taking place here. What she was doing was she, she, she is when, by this very act, she has given a message to Boaz that I want you to perform the act of a levered man, marriage. And I want you to restore my, my, my deceased husband's name. And, 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 and the child that is born will carry on the name of my husband. That is exactly what she's acting. This is not a selfish act. She is not looking for a Boaz that will be a rich man that will, that, that will take care of her. She's not concerned about herself. Ruth is one of the most selfless people in all of scripture. She's not concerned about herself. The, the, all she cares about is her mother-in-law. And, 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 and th there's nothing of self in Ruth. Ruth is very similar to Esther in, 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 the, in, 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 the matter, in the matter of selflessness. They don't care about themselves. They're more concerned about other people. She's more con concerned about Naomi. And, and then she second, secondarily, she's confirmed about her, her deceased husband. And I'm telling you, that is, a care, that is a quality that will carry on for generations and generations. I mean, look at what Martin Luther King Jr. sacrificed for America. Look at, and what his impact does not affect America only, it affects the entire world. It affects the entire world. And I, and I, and I, I, I hope today in America that we can practice what, 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 the, what Martin Luther King Jr. practiced. Because I'm telling you, the, the way to hate racism, and I'm not trying to be political at all, I just want all of us to, to do the right thing. The, the, the way that we can propagate love is not through acts of hatred, not through acts of revenge, but by living a life the way Martin Luther King lived his life. And that's really living a life of selflessness and putting others before yourself and treating others the way that you want to be treated. I don't believe it's okay to, to put fear in people to treat you the way you want to be treated. But you, but you, you treat people the way you want to be treated. You know, uh, we're all created in God's image, regardless of your race, regardless of the, the color of your skin, regardless of your gender. We're, we are all created in God's image. And every one of us has something to contribute. We are all here by divine design. And, 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 I'm, t and I'm asking all, all, all of you, just, just to really live lives in a way that you want others to treat you. 
I mean, that sums up the entire Bible in one phrase. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Do unto others what you'd have them do to you. Does that make sense? And if that witnesses to you, please, please, please say amen. Amen. And I'm going to close with this tonight. Because I, I, just, I just really want, I really want you to, to, to ponder this and just allow the Spirit of God just to minister to you through this. And, and, and you know, look, look at that. And see, the Bible is not filled with stories of perfect individuals. I mean, the people we read about are sometimes murderers, adulterers. I mean, um, have lived, done the most despicable things. But you know what? I'm so glad that the Lord chose to write about, to, to have these people mentioned in Scripture. Because and it teaches us it doesn't matter how 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 low you go, God 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 can restore you, God can repair you, God can heal you, Amen. Yeah. You know, I've heard people say they'll go to church when they when they get their when when they start living in in in, in a godly way. Well, you, that's like saying you'll go for your physical when 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 you overcome everything. You know, start eating right and doing everything right. You know, it's never going to happen. Sometimes you need you need to go to the doctor. You need to have a physical done to find out wh- where where you need to make improvements. Mm-hmm. You need to look at your work, your blood work with your doctor, so the doctor can tell you. Well, you know, you're lacking this. You need to you need to change your diet. You need to you know you need to cut out red meat or whatever it may be. There may be things you need to adjust to 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 to, to bring you know to bring your body back to physical health, and that will bring about mental health as well. And also, in, 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 you know, if you're waiting to become perfect before you return to church, you're going to be waiting a long, long time. You know what? I encourage you to just come as you are. Amen. And as the church doors are opening back up, I encourage, you all, I encourage you all to start returning to the fellowship with believers. I mean, Zoom is great. Facebook Live is great. But I'm telling you, nothing replaces the fellowship of believers in person. Last night, I gave a brief teaching, and I told everyone, you know, we, we, we may be physically distant, but let's not be socially distant. Right. Let's really, there's no reason why we can't, cannot connect with one another on an emotional level and to see how one another is doing and caring for one another. You know, I can think of nothing worse than, it, it, you know, when someone's been through a, going through a grieving process and, 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 you know, maybe over the death of a, of a loved one. And 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 people don't care that you that you're going through that that suffering. You know, we need to connect with one another. I mean, how many people do you know that are lonely, that don't have anybody, and they need they need you to reach out to them? I really want you to look for ways in which you can live your faith and show acts of selfless loving kindness. Because I'm telling you, it's so important now more than ever. Because we need one another. We need love. We really do. And I, and I encourage all of you to learn how to take responsibility like Tamar did, because Tamar took responsibility for Judah when Judah failed. Judah took responsibility for Tamar uh, when, when he gave the order to have her, to have her killed for capital punishment, you know, for, for, for the sin of adultery. Mm-hmm. So I encourage all of you that we look for ways to take responsibility for others. 